You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. 17 weeks ago, I invited you for the first time to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. On that day, it was 12 degrees outside. I was way back in February. Do you realize that? And so I'm going to ask you for the 17th time to open your Bible to the book of Joshua, this time to Joshua chapter 24. You say, well, that's the third time you've asked us to open to the last chapter. Are you ever going to finish? Today's the day. I told you I preached the other 23 chapters just so that I could get to Joshua 24, 15. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, Joshua says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this choice that we have to make. It all starts with an individual choice that begins with who? Me. It all starts right there. Nobody can choose for you. If you haven't chosen to serve the Lord, what are you waiting for? It is time for you to move onward from wherever you've been wandering to serving the Lord. But once we make that choice, that choice is going to impact what? It's going to impact my house. As for me and my house, your decision is going to impact. Uh, impact the other little me's in your home, right? And so you can make a choice that actually determines the onward progress of your house. Well, today we're going to talk about how the choices that we make and the houses that we build is going to impact the world around us. Because we found out in Joshua chapter 24 After Joshua had called the people to make the individual choice that would impact their families, we finally get to verse 28, and Joshua sent the people away. Every man to his inheritance. Go live out this service in the geographical territory that you occupy. Now, I am of a generation that uh, was introduced when I was a teenager to a room that looked like this. How many of you are of that generation? You remember walking into a room and seeing the glory of a Pac-Man machine or an asteroid or Galaga or Tempest. Anybody want to keep going? I mean, that was a glorious thing. And uh, if you were like me, you walked in, that was a crowded room at the local video arcade, and there were people standing in line waiting to get on a machine, and there was a little tradition, if you wanted to be the next person to get a game, do you remember what you would do? You take a quarter out, and you put it on the machine, and there might be as many as 10 or 20 quarters lined up, but whenever the next quarter was yours, it was your turn to play. And the question at the arcade was this, who's got next? How many of you are familiar with that phrase? Who's got next? I've tried to say that to some older people in our church. They have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, uh, Maybe it wasn't a video machine for you. Maybe it was on a basketball court. You'd show up for a pickup basketball game, and there's people wanting to get on the court, but there's only one court, there's only two hoops, and you had to wait in turn. But the implication to the question of who's got next is this. After you're done... There's somebody else who's going to do it better than you, 
right? No matter what the high score was on the video game, there's somebody standing in line that's not intimidated by your onward progress on that game. They think they're going to get the next high score. And so that's what we're talking about here. All of the book of Joshua has been about this onward progress, but we finally get to the next chapter, and here's what we're going to learn tonight. Our journey is not finished until we pass the truth onward to the next generation. Our journey, no matter how far you've come, you are not finished until you pass the truth onward to the next generation. Now, in the book of Joshua, onward is measured in very tangible ways. It is measured by square footage. It is measured by the number of giants killed. It's measured by the number of miles they've traveled and how much time they've occupied and how much plunder they have uh, gotten from neighboring cities that they have conquered. Now, that's not our battle. The book of Joshua is preserved for us as an example of what a person can do by faith moving onward from wherever you are to conquer some territory God wants you to occupy by faith and obedience. You see, our onward progress is not measured by square footage or miles or time. Our onward progress is measured by faith, obedience, worship, and the victories over sin and temptation. That's the lesson for you and I in 2016. We still need to move onward. And uh, for me, as I've studied this, and I feel like Joshua's just become a friend to me, I've been challenged by the book of Joshua to think in terms of what's next. Who's got next? And so as I've thought about me and my house, it's very natural for me to think about who is the next generation of Griffith that needs the truth passed on to them. And so it's not easy for me to see five little Griffiths running around that, hey, you, you guys realize you're next. You're up next. You need to go places that I haven't been able to, to go, and you need to do things that I haven't been able to do. You've got next. Are you going to carry the baton? Are you going to continue to go onward even after I'm gone? But not just my family, outside of my family, outside of my house. It's real easy for me as I've been thinking about the onward progress, and the next generation of disciples that need to be made in our church. We are not interested in a quantity of disciples. We are interested in and giving our lives for a quality of discipleship. But I always love to follow that up by saying we are not opposed to a large quantity of quality disciples around here, right? We want to reach as many people as possible because it's our mandate to make disciples. So as I study the book of Joshua, I'm thinking, what are we going to do as a church to make the next generation of disciples? Where are the next generation of leaders? I loved what we just did to recognize God is raising men up to give leadership, to move the church onward to the next territory we need to conquer. 
I've thought about the next generation of churches that need to be planted. We saw, if you were here on time, you saw the Liberian people. There are eight Harvest Bible chapels in Liberia that are, have been planted. It's the next generation, and the question is, where's the next Harvest Bible Chapel going to be planted? And what are we going to do about that? So we need to always be thinking about what's next. By God's grace, Harvest will be a place where the next generation of leaders and disciples and churches are always what's next. People are standing in line saying, I've got next. How about you? Is that you? Are you ready to move onward as a part of what God's doing here? Now, as we get into the scripture, and we're about to read it here in just a minute. I've waited way too long to read the Bible, but one more comment here. As we get into it, I want you to think on two different levels tonight, okay? Because we need to think about um, the onward implications for our families, for our children. We touched on this a little bit last week, but there are some onward implications to what we're about to read, but there are some onward implications not only for our families, there are some onward implications for our church family. So, I want you to be thinking about the little me's in your house, but I want you to be thinking beyond your house and how all of the houses that make up Harvest Bible Chapel, how are we going to move onward? What's next for Harvest? Who's got next? So that's what we're going to be talking about here tonight. So let's first of all think about the, imp the onward implications for our children. Let me just say this uh, as we jump into it here, okay? If you are a parent and you think that it is the responsibility of Michelle Helmkamp and Tyler Downing to disciple your children, you are sadly mistaken. If you think they can do in one hour on Wednesday night or a week of vacation Bible school what you haven't been able to do in the 167 other hours that they live with you or the other 51 weeks that they spend with you, um, you are delusional. Here's what we want to understand tonight. It is a parent's responsibility to pass the truth onward to the next generation of people in your home. It is the church's responsibility to come alongside of parents and to create an environment where we help and we serve and maybe we're kind of a safety net in some situations where God uses different people in different ways. We want to be a ministry and offer that, but it's a parent's responsibility to pass the truth from one generation to the next in your home. It is the church's responsibility to pass the truth onward to the hearts and lives of parents that are not even yet in our church. And so there's implications for our families, there's implications for our church. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world it leaves to its children. What are we doing about who's next and how are we moving onward we're going to jump into the scripture let me give you the point here and then we'll read first of all if we're going to make the next generation of disciples we need to model what it looks like to know god 
Let's see it here from Joshua chapter 24. Let's begin reading in verse 29. After these things, what things? Everything in the previous 23 chapters. After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, I always think that's sad that Joshua was the son of Nun. Anyway, uh, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. How many of you here are 55 years and younger? Raise your hand proudly, as long as you can, okay? Now, can you imagine reaching your 55th birthday and realizing you just reached halftime? Joshua was given 110 years. Now, I want you to think about the onward progress Joshua made in 110 years. 110 years ago, Joshua was born as a slave in Egypt. 110 years later, Joshua dies as a victorious warrior enjoying the promised land. What kind of onward progress did Joshua make in 110 years? He lived a life that demonstrates how far you can come from where you began. I don't know what kind of ancestry you have. None of us gets to choose our ancestry. But all of us get to choose our legacy. And you can change your legacy where you finish is not determined by where you start. If you had any upgrade over being a slave in Egypt, you got a better start than Joshua. You can move onward. No excuses. And so some of us had some horrible ancestors and bad track records and bad parenting, and yet Joshua overcame all of that. And, and why? Because of the demonstration of two things God said you must have if you're going to move onward. We learned it in the very first chapter. What were they? Joshua, you must be strong and courageous. That's the way that you make it 110 years from being a slave in Egypt to a victorious warrior in a land of promise. And so it says, after these things, Joshua died, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work of the Lord that the Lord did for Israel. And it tells us about the took the bones of Joseph, and it tells us about Eleazar. He was that priest that kind of negotiated uh, when there was almost a civil war. We read about those things. Now, this is what I want you to do. We are now finished with the book of Joshua, but I want you to turn, probably in your Bible, two pages. We are now in the book of Judges, and I want you to find chapter 2. And I want us to read what it says beginning in verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Verse 7, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done 
for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Is, does this sound familiar? This is identical to the last few verses in the book of Joshua. And he goes on in verse 9. They buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ethereum, north of the mountain of Gaash. And then he adds this comment in verse 10. What happened next? And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That's a kind way of saying they died too. They were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That generation did not receive the knowledge of the Lord. We're not told what happened, but at some point there was a failure in the previous generation to make known to the next generation all that God had done. Now, it's not just about passing on head knowledge, but it is about modeling what it looks like to know the Lord. It's not an ACT Bible test. It's not a Bible quiz. It's not Bible trivia that is going to make the difference in the next generation. It's going to be when they see someone who has the knowledge live it out in a way that says, I want to serve the Lord the same way you served the Lord. That's what Joshua had done. Do you think it's significant that for 110 years, that generation had a model to follow in Joshua, but when Joshua died and all the elders died, apparently there was no model to follow at that point? Now, do you know what a model is? I mean, think about that. You know what a model is? A model is someone who wears something and makes it look so good you want it too. Has that ever happened to you? I'm right now I am modeling this jacket. I'm like, he looks good tonight, you know? Where'd he get that? I, I, I want one, I want one of those. And hopefully, the best thing that I model for you is not a coat. Hopefully, the best thing I model for you is how to live a life that knows God. How do you live and survive in a world with all of its aches and pains and temptations and trials and the sufferings of this life and all of the obstacles and all of the enemies? Do you know what Joshua modeled? He modeled strength and he modeled courage. And he modeled faith and he modeled what it looked like to move onward. On uh, Thursday uh, morning, I was in my office and a dear member of our church came to the office, and she was so excited. She just said, I had to come to the church, and I had to tell the pastor what happened last night. And she told me a story. She said, uh, she said uh, two years ago, um, my husband lost his job. It was a very prominent position, and, and he's a very qualified man. And, and just kind of for some unknown reason, that job was taken away. And he was, 
he was jobless and he had to start the job search and and all the while they were living for the Lord they were serving the Lord and 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 there were question marks in their mind why the Lord would allow this job to be taken away and as they were processing the book of Joshua as they were processing the 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 numerous times that God had told the people do not forsake the Lord do not abandon the Lord to serve other gods with little g's for the first time it clicked in their mind and the wife said to the husband I think I know why the Lord took your job away quite honestly your job was your God and how good was God to take away the other God so that two years later we could walk knowing him more intimate with him more in love with him than we have ever been and seeing all the onward progress in our life that never would have happened if the God with the big G hadn't decapitated the God with the little G and as they were sharing this story, they were just filled with joy, saying, this is, this, we're just so grateful for the trial. And even though we didn't understand it at the time, what were they doing? They were modeling to their family, to their children, and even to their church what it means, what it looks like to know God, even in a difficult circumstance. Do you model to your children what it looks like to know God? And to walk with God? And to discern the ways of God? Or is it when something goes wrong, you get mad at God? Because you just don't really know Him or trust Him the way that Joshua trusted Him and knew Him. And so we can model for our children what it looks like to know God. Here's the second thing. Speak often about what the Lord has done for you. Again, look here in Judges chapter 2 and uh, verse 10. All that generation who gathered to their fa- were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, or notice the work that he had done for Israel. Now, we've spent the last 17 weeks studying and speaking of the work that the Lord had done for Israel. Do you remember? all that the Lord had done. Let me just give you a little reminder. It was God that called Joshua to be strong and courageous. At that point, Israel was leaderless because Moses had just died. Now, it's interesting here that Joshua and the elders called attention to what the Lord had done for Israel. Do you think it was a temptation for Joshua to take any credit for what was done? I mean, all of this happened under his leadership. But what he wanted that generation to know, it wasn't Joshua that did these things. Joshua is not the hero of the book of Joshua. God is the hero of the book of Joshua. And it was God that called Joshua and gave him the strength and gave him the courage to go onward. Do you remember the story of Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. Can you imagine all the shame, all the guilt, all the sexual abuse that she'd experienced? And yet God was so gracious to rescue her out of that land and then use 
Rahab to rescue the spies that had come in? Do you remember that it was God that cut off the waters of the Jordan and allowed them to cross over on dry ground? It was God that caused the walls of Jericho to fall. It was God that exposed the sin of Achan. And it was God that gave them victory over Ai in game two. And um, it was God that made the sun stand still. It was God that gave strength to 85-year-old Caleb that gave him the strength of a 40-year-old. It was God that gave the, the, the 12 tribes the land, and it was God that gave the land rest, and it was God that made every promise come true, and it was God that gave them a land on which they had not labored and cities that they had not built. That's the story of Joshua. And the next generation didn't know what you now know. Because it wasn't spoken of. The story wasn't told. And we read the book of Joshua, we have to understand that the book of Joshua models for us what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We learned early that the word Joshua is actually the same word translated into Greek as Jesus. It just simply means God saves and so we read the book of Joshua and we have to think and we have to speak of what Jesus has done for us that's modeled for us in the book of Joshua. Do you understand? You and I were Rahab, guilty as Rahab, guilty as a prostitute, as worthy of judgment as a prostitute. And you and I were Achan who had sinned and stood worthy of death, worthy of every stone that God would bury us with. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus said, you can stone me and treat me as if I was as guilty as Achan so that all of those modern-day Achans and all of those modern-day Rahabs could be forgiven and set free. Is that the kind of stories that you tell in your home and remind your children of? This is the great thing that God has done for us we need to speak often of what Jesus has done on the cross and then not just that but the daily practical things that God does every day to prove that God is fighting for us do you understand that God is still fighting for you and do you see him at work all around you um, Memorial Day, I don't know what you did on Memorial Day. We had a day off, and we had a friend in our church who has a boat, and they invited us to go out on the boat, which we love to do. And uh, our friend who has the boat loves to go and take his boat on the St. Joseph River and ski on the river. Now, do you understand that skiing on a river is kind of like skiing on an obstacle course? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in the river that you can't, see and you could hit we enjoyed just a wonderful day of skiing and, and I was driving the boat it was kind of the last round and um, and I, I was driving the boat along and I hit something and there was this horrible noise that came from the motor and so we turned it off and we realized something major had just happened I hit a huge log or something maybe a dead body, Al Capone, I don't know, something in the river, it, you know, broke the motor. And sure enough, um, as we inspected it, I mean, the big brackets were busted. There was oil leaking, and it was bad news. We had to get a tow back from another boat. And it was a bad day. 
Now, in the boat was my daughter who had plans to go to Silver Beach. She was going to meet a friend and go to Silver Beach for, to, to watch the sunset. And because we were dead in the water, it delayed her trip. And, um, and Brooke was not really excited about this. And you know, like, you know, it's a bad day now, and I'm not going to get to do what I wanted to do. And, and um, so we were delayed about an hour, and we finally made it back to shore. Brooke finally made it to Silver Beach about an hour later than she'd planned on being on the beach and as soon as they got there they decided instead of going to the beach they would go up on the bluff kind of where the ice cream shops and everything are and as soon as they got there they heard gunshots down on the beach and everybody on the beach started running for their lives there was just a mass of humanity that was running off the beach up the bluff what if we hadn't hit that log in the river. What if Brooke had arrived on time at the beach? Could it be that God actually was at work in me destroying my friend's boat? <laughs> That's my story. I'm sticking with it. I'm just trying to counsel my friend. But when we tell that story, how do we speak how good is God to fight for us? Is that the way you speak of the Lord? Speak often of what the Lord has done for you. And then finally this, point them onward toward battles yet to be won. Let me read to you some of the saddest verses in the Bible continuing here in Judges 2 verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They started going backward. And they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods with little g's from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord. And they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, the Lord's keeping his promises still, and they were in terrible, terrible distress. There they are. And they lost all the onward progress that they had made in the 110 years that Joshua led them. It's a tragedy when we do not multiply what the Lord has done in our own lives to our children. Um, I don't know where you came from, but as we think about the next generation, some of you, as as we think about it, it's kind of like a chain. I, I've used this chain for so many different things, pulling boats out of water and, and RVs out of ditches. And, and this is my, I love this chain. It's gotten me out of a lot of, of things here. When you think about 
your relationship with the Lord, when you think about me and my house, for some of you, you, you may be like me. I was, in my family, I was the first link in the chain. I was the first Christian in my family. How many of you were the first link? Raise your hand if you were the first Christian in your family. Well, now that you are the first link, your responsibility is to make sure that the knowledge of God makes it to the second link. Anybody here would say, hey, I think I'm the second link in the family. Raise your hand. Well, your responsibility is to now to send it to this link. The trouble in the church so often is that we have too many weak links. Now listen, good parents can sometimes raise bad kids. And bad parents can sometimes miraculously raise good kids. But every parent is going to model something to their children. And every parent is a link in the chain. Some of you didn't have a very strong link. You, at this moment, need to decide, I'm going to be the strong link, and I'm going to make sure that the next link knows about the Lord. I'm going to point my children in the right direction. I, I said that there were implications, onward implications for our families. And secondly, there's onward implications for our church. And so let me just kind of talk about that. If you're a part of Harvest, this should be something that you think about as much as you think about your own family because you want to multiply disciples. And you want to see the Great Commission go forward. And, and as the pastor of the church, as I've been studying this passage, the Lord just keeps kind of coming to me and says, you know, Trent, if, if we're going to go onward, there, there's some things that we're going to need. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, we're kind of out of space again. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good problem to have. And so we, as elders, we're starting to wrap our minds around what's next? Who's got next? And does that mean we need to build something? Does that mean we need to plant something? Does that mean we need to start something? We don't have all those answers right now. But we need to understand that uh, the Lord may want us to conquer more territory and reach more people. And so what does that mean? Um, another thing that's been on my heart is this fact. Do, do you know this about our community? Um, this is a collegiate town. Is that a surprise to anybody? Have you noticed? There's a few colleges around. And uh, someone shared with me just yesterday, there are 25,000 college students that live within a 30-minute radius of this church. How much strategy have we put into reaching them? Can I tell you? Not as much as we should. And so I'm thinking, and believe the Lord's put on our heart, we need to put a priority on reaching some college students at a critical time in their lives so that they can go onward and experience things that the Lord wants them to have. And then... If you've been around our church for very long, um, really over the course of the past two years, we have talked a lot about um, a campus. Um, as we've studied the book of Joshua, there's been several times that I've put up maps of Israel. And, um, and have you seen a map of Israel? Let, let me show you a map of Israel. There's, that's kind of the modern-day Google roadmap of, of Israel. 
and you can see there's the Sea of Galilee at the top, and then the Jordan River, you know, that they had to cross to get into the Promised Land. It flows down into the, the Dead Sea. That is a modern-day map of Israel. Does that remind you of anything? Do you know what that is? That's Berrien County. And I'm thinking the Lord wants us to go onward into Berrien County. The Jordan River runs through Israel. The St. Joseph River runs through Berrien County. In order to go from Granger to Berrien County, you have to cross the St. Joseph River. And I'm thinking the Lord wants us to go onward. The Lord wants us to plant a campus of our church in Berrien County. Now, we've been talking about this forever. There's a group of people in our church, wonderful people, that have actually kind of, by faith, pursued the leadership of our church. Our elders and we, we there's like 50 people that are like committed, that drive like 30 and 40 minutes to come to church here because we haven't yet planted a campus there. And we've got a core group. We've got resources. We've got faith. We even have a location. Do you, do you see the star down in the bottom right? That's where you are right now. That's Granger. And the star up in the, the, the top there, that is a YMCA up there that is actually available for us. It would actually be um, similar to where our church began. Uh, kind of a gymnasium type thing. It's available, and we've kind of spied it out. We've been spying the land out there, and uh, we know what the giants are, and we're ready to, to slay them. The question is, are we going to stop now? Are we going to fight from faith? Are we going to take what's ours? Now, the reason we haven't already planted that campus is because there's one missing link. Do you know what it is? It's a campus pastor, and I've been asking you guys to be praying. You've been praying about that? The core group up there has been praying about that. And so um, the great news tonight is I would like to introduce you to the missing link. Jamie and Angie Maxim, would you come up here on the platform with me? I would like to introduce you to our new campus pastor in Berrien County. Jamie, why don't you take some time and um, just introduce yourself, let these people know where you've come from. You, you haven't lived 110 years, so you haven't come as far as Joshua, but this is our new Joshua that is going to take us into the land, and we're going to cross over the St. Joseph River, and uh, I'm not driving the boat, and uh, he's, he's going to be driving the boat. So Jamie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your vision for, for what's going on. Well, my name is Jamie. This is my wife, Angie. We have four kids. We celebrated 19 years of marriage this week. I, I grew up in western New York, but uh, I got saved at Ball State University about 20 years ago. And God called me into pastoral ministry. There's a long story in the middle there. We've moved a lot of places, uh, but God burdened me to plant a church and believe it or not, six weeks ago, I was still in the process of planting a church in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, six weeks ago, yeah, that's what I said. 
Uh, and the Lord made it very clear four weeks ago that we weren't to go to Muncie, Indiana. Uh, and the next day, we took a trip uh, to Berrien County for the first time. And now we live in Berrien County. So that sounds crazy, but uh, some other guys thought it was crazy to go to a land, and there were a couple of other guys that said, no, it's not crazy because God's at work there. God's doing something there. And that's why we could move our family here uh, in such a short time, and there's more time in the future to share all the details and God's stories of how God brought us here. But we had faith to come here because we've seen God at work, and we knew God was at work even before we got to meet any of the people there, and we got to meet a few of the folks there. So we are eager uh, to see what God is going to do. Uh, we, we have only been praying about Berrien County for four weeks, so it's not about us. Jesus is building his church, but there have been a people who have been praying for years. So if you're interested to, to learn more about what God is doing in Berrien County, whether you live there or whether God might be calling you to be a part of what he's doing there, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, but we are excited to be here. Thank you for praying for us even before you knew who we were. Uh, we are grateful that we covet your prayers to continue uh, to pray for us because God is going to be doing some great things up in Berrien County. So, uh, in case you missed it, Jamie and Angie Maxim, and I know you've got a head filled with questions. Let me answer some frequently asked questions, okay? Um, first of all, um, you're going to hear more from Jamie. Uh, they'll be here at the end of the service. You can come and, and get to know them a little bit. And then uh, come back tomorrow night for Fresh Encounter prayer meeting. We're going to give Jamie some time just to share some vision, and we're going to pray for Berrien County. And then uh, we're going to have an ice cream social after that. You can mix and mingle with them as well. And then Jamie's going to be preaching next week right here, so we'll get to know Jamie real quick, get a crash course on Jamie and his vision. And, and uh, so he's going to be preaching next week. And um, quick questions. Here's what we would like to do. Um, by faith in the Lord's timing, and if it is the Lord's will, we would like to open the doors of our Berrien campus the week after Labor Day this year, okay? That means that this summer, we've got a lot of work to do, okay? And if you live in Berrien County, know people who live in Berrien County, we need to get them connected. There will be a vision meeting on uh, June the 26th, I think. That's three weeks from tomorrow night. You'll hear more details about all of that probably up there at the, uh, at the YMCA up there. And um, so uh, another clarification, we're not planting a church. We're planting a campus. So Harvest Granger will be one church in two locations. Um, and uh, Jamie will be the campus pastor there responsible for discipleship and building out small groups and counseling and administration and everything else that a pastor does, except for one thing. At this point, what we'll do is, is uh, figure out a way to broadcast the teaching that is done here uh, to that location on Sundays, okay? It'll be a live worship band. Pray for Micah. We've got to build that team out as well. And uh, live worship up there. Jamie will be the campus pastor responsible for shepherding and pastoring uh, those people there in Berrien County. I know you've got a thousand other questions. I don't have all the answers. I got a lot more questions than you do, but uh, we'll pray together as the Lord moves us onward, okay? We pray about that. Why don't I pray for Jamie right now? Why don't you stand and uh, let's pray together for Jamie and Angie, and uh, we just appreciate their faith so much. Jamie actually just spent um, 
he went through the Harvest Training Center. So he has Harvest DNA in him as much as any of us. He knows our pillars. He knows our values. And uh, so we're excited about having him on the team. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, just the example of, of Joshua. And uh, I pray that uh, Jamie would be filled with the same strength, the same courage, the same faith. God, would you clear the obstacles? Would you defeat the enemies? And God, would you give favor uh, in uh, this endeavor? I pray, God, that you would fill Jamie with your spirit. I pray you'd provide for every need. And God, would you raise up an army of people that would be just as passionate as the original 13 people that had faith to believe seven years ago that there would be a church like this in Granger. God, would you do it again? We know it is your heart. We see the evidence of you building your church. And we know it is all for your glory. It is your work. And we want to speak of it often. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.